This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name is uh, Austin Clyde, and welcome back to the New Books in Science, Technology, and Society, a podcast from the New Books Network. Today, I'm here with uh, Florian Jatone, author of The Constitution of Algorithms, Ground Truthing, Programming, Formulating from MIT Press 2021. Uh, Florian is a postdoctoral researcher at the STS Lab, a research unit of the Institute of Social Science at the University of uh, Lausanne, Switzerland. Florian studied philosophy, mathematics, literature, and political sciences before receiving his PhD in social sciences at the university. He also worked at the Donald Brent School of Information and Computer Science at the University of California, Irvine, and the uh, Centre de Sociologie de l'Innovation uh, École de Mines de Paris. His research interests are the sociology of algorithms, the philosophy of mathematics, and the history of computing. And uh, please forgive my uh, foreign language pronunciations. Um, so, Florian, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for, for having me on your podcast. It's a, it's a great uh, pleasure. And, uh, well, I wish it was in a different context because, of course, there is a terrible war going on. It's very, very sad and uh, immensely sad, actually. So I will try my best to, to stay focused on the, on the book. Even, even though it's difficult not to think that there are things much more important than this book, obviously. But anyway, thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm very glad to be, to be with you. Yes, yes, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, there's, there's a lot to be on our minds now. Um, so, so first, wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and, and kind of, you know, uh, how did you get interested in, in, in algorithms and especially from an STS perspective? Well, actually, it's um, I don't know if it's a long story, but uh, there is a history to, to that, at least. And uh, initially, I was trained as a um, political scientist and political sociologist. And um, well, at my university at that time, it's funny because I, I talk about this uh, earlier, I mean, last week uh, during a conference. But uh, anyway, um, in my uh, university at that time, there was a very strong... Um, like Bourdieuian uh, community, Bourdieuian tradition. 
And so we were, we were taught the, the sociology of Pierre Bourdieu and so on. And, uh, but there was also a strong focus on, on ethnography, actually. And we learned, well, how to conduct interviews, how to take field notes uh, and so on, which are the base, basic things of, of uh, ethnographic research. And there was a very specific uh, class inside this program um, and we had to kind of uh, organize a, um, a field, kind of a field work, an ethnographic field work, uh, and we had to design a research question and so on. And I found myself uh, in, um, in the end in a kind of a small bar where people could make bets, bets on horse races. And so I had to do kind of the ethnography of this uh, very specific location. And it was immensely interesting, by the way. But in the end, um, it was a little sad because uh, we were asked to kind of um, confirm the, the, the social theory of Pierre Bourdieu um, with the empirical elements we were compiling at that time. And it was, it was sad because the, these elements were not really related to the theory in a sense. And so I was, at that time, I was trying to, 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 to look for, for people who wrote about uh, kind of techno-mediated social processes. And this is how I found, well, this is how I discovered science and technology studies, actually. And um, more specifically, the, the, the beautiful book that is entitled um, Addicted by Design. And then after that, I um, discovered the, 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 the classics like uh, laboratory life, manufacture of knowledge, and uh, well, the usual suspects. And so, uh, and for my master's, I mean, my master's thesis, I wanted to, 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 to do something um, with these new references and I had the occasion to, um, to do an internship in an architect's office. And so I could stay in, inside this office for a couple of months and this was an amazing experience, of course. And, um, but I realized that, I mean, architects, are, um, <clears throat> they, they rely a lot, sorry, <clears throat> they rely a lot on, uh, on digital devices and software and these kind of things. And so the, the, the social theory um, that I had at that time, I was, I mean, I was discovering uh, actor network theory, for instance, and now I moved on. But at that time, I was very impressed by the, the flexibility that, it, that this theory um, allows you to, to have. But still in front of the digital um, devices and in front of this software, the theory appeared quite limited. And so it was a little bit frustrating. And so at the end of my, of my master's uh, thesis, I wanted to, to uh, inquire a little bit more into, uh, into that limit of the social theory. Uh, I mean, the uh, actor network uh, theory uh, derived um, um, kind, of, uh, yeah, kind of social theory, if you will. So it was a theoretical, a theoretical question first. And then uh, I had the chance to, to meet the, the, the right people at the right time, I guess. And so I met um, a computer science uh, professor who was uh, very curious about everything. And uh, she basically told me that uh, I could um, stay inside her lab um, if I managed to, to get the funding for a PhD uh, thesis. And at that time, it was in 2013, I think. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, at that time, it was also the the moment of the whole uh, digi digital humanities kind of bubble. And so I could a little bit instrumentalized this whole bubble around digital humanities to try to, to get my um, ethnographic work funded. And so in the end, I, I got the funding. So I had to do the, the inquiry inside this um, 
computer science laboratory um, for digital image processing. And well, the, the people inside this lab, what they do mainly is that they design new algorithms. So as a matter of fact, actually, I had, I mean, I was asked and uh, to, um, to uh, describe this very specific activity. And so it's a lab study. And the lab study is a very specific genre. Uh, I don't know if you want me to, to, to talk a little bit about lab study because it's, uh, it's quite unconventional in the, in the ethnographic landscape, I guess. I, I, I think it'd be great to, to share with the audience because I, I, I think it's a, a really important question here um, in, and at stake uh, for the work. Yeah, so, so the book really is a, is a lab study. And so it's um, it's an ethnographic study uh, of a scientific uh, laboratory. And so a, a lab study, I would say that it's a, it's a broad method that uh, now is definitely part of the um, I would say the, the toolbox of anthropology and sociology of science and, and technology for quite a long time now, actually, like fifty years, I would say. And mainly, it consists in in uh, in staying inside a, a laboratory as a participant observer and uh, document what's happening there. So this is the main thing, which is very close to classic anthropology, uh, actually, except that in this case, it's anthropology of modernity and it's anthropology of modern institutions. But the method is quite the same as classic anthropology. And, uh, well, it's a very specific glance that tends to, um, to put the emphasis on what people do and what they do with their hands, almost. So it's a, it's a kind of sociology of work and uh, or at least a sociology of activity. So in, 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 this is in very broad strokes what, uh, what the lab study is, basically. And it has limits, I think. And one of the limits is that it takes a lot of time. So it's an anthropological venture. So you, you need to stay a long time on the field site. You need to learn a, a whole new language. So it takes a lot of time. And if, you, I mean, if you're doing a PhD, uh, as it was for my case, uh, it's fine because you may have time to, to do it. But apart from the PhD section of your of your career, so to speak, it's extremely difficult to, to dedicate a couple of years to engage yourself in a, in this kind of very demanding inquiry. So this is an important limit, I believe, and there are also uh, other limits, I, I believe. But what I yeah, like, so... yeah, sorry, please. Oh, yeah, I, I was just saying, I, I think that that's already, I mean, very interesting when we kind of think about the, the context of your work here. I mean, this is a book about algorithms. And it's interesting when you talk about lab work, the first thing that kind of one of the things that comes to your mind is like the sociology of kind of work or what people do with their hands. And, and to me, that already kind of highlights the importance of a work like this, because when we think about algorithms, we, we even we oftentimes don't even think about the, the spaces or the places where they're made. I mean, algorithms, of course, have this kind of um, this this nature, ephemeral nature to them that that is actually hard to see them located. And and so I think you know, in the first few pages of your book, you have just a photograph of someone typing at a keyboard, and uh, it's it's fascinating how that's kind of the main main mode of interaction. Um, and and shows you how, how it's been such an underexplored area. I mean, your book, I think, is one of the first to actually treat that space as a laboratory. Well, it's it's possible that is one of the first to, to do that. And um, I think it's mainly due to the kind of the power of the um, of the analytical glance uh, of lab study, because you, if, if you if you if you engage into that direction, you don't have any choice. Uh, you have to document what people do. 
And so if you happen to, to be in a, in a computer science laboratory, uh, you, you will have to, to, um, to, to, to see this kind of actions. And so this is what I like, by the way, with, the, with, with lab studies, that you can get a very fine-grained depiction of the, the practical process, uh, processes at stake. And so, um, and so things that make, for instance, algorithms, because we inherit, I believe, I tried to talk about this in a very strange uh, chapter, which is, I think, the third one. Uh, I tried to, to talk about the, um, how we inherit from a very uh, abstract consideration of algorithms and of programs. And I think it's also one of the reasons why there um, was not any um, ethnographic work within computer science laboratory. Uh, maybe also because, um, well, we tend to think that algorithms are abstract and that they you cannot really describe how they are made. But actually, no, they are not abstract. They are very material. And uh, also, and this is one of the advantages of lab study, I believe, is that uh, things that may be thought as very complicated and very complex, well, these things appear progressively as the products of very mundane actions. And so um, this is also important to, to, to specify, is that algorithms are product of very mundane actions and day-to-day -day activities. Because it is the job of people who do that on a regular basis, like from Monday to Friday. So there is a mundane aspect to it that is important to, to underline. And so, uh, and so lab studies, they're also a way kind of to do justice to the, to the power of micro social events. And this is what I like with this uh, analy analytical glance. So, um, so it's, uh, well, it's really the, the good aspect of it. But it's true that uh, I was maybe the, the first one to, to, to engage myself in this kind of a study with respect to algorithms. And it might be related to, to, the, to the main problem of lab studies, is that you need a lot of time to, to do that. And, um, but when I was, if I may continue just to, to, uh, to unfold the, the topic, um, when I was doing uh, the inquiry, it, was, it began in 2013 or 14. Uh, and at that time, the whole topic of algorithms became quite salient in the uh, science and technology studies uh, literature. Before that, it was different. Before that, we didn't speak that much about algorithms. But um, in 2015, there was the release of uh, Frank Pasquale's book, um, the, the Black Box Society, which is a very important book. And so, um, and there was also many other publications around the topic of algorithms. And I was surprised to see that the the analytical look was quite distant from the locations where algorithms were made. And so um, I was, um, I mean, I was very young at that time. <clears throat> now I, I'm, I'm a little bit um, uh, different, but at that, at that time I was a little bit upset because I couldn't really find the things that I was uh, seeing during, in the lab inside this critical literature on algorithms. And for instance, um, this is something I realized very quickly in the inquiry, actually. Uh, it is the notion of ground truth and ground truth databases. And after only a couple of days inside the laboratory, I realized that, well, these databases are actually central to the definition and to the construction of new algorithms. And I could find nowhere in the sociological literature, uh, nobody talked about these databases, even though it is one of the main topics of discussion within the locations where people uh, construct new algorithms. So I was a little bit frustrated at that time. It's better now because now we talk a little bit more about these databases and so on. But at that time, it was it was not the case, and it was a little bit frustrating, especially because it was one of the main topics of the people I was following uh, 
inside the inside the lab. Right. So I, I think let's go, let's just get into it. I mean, so there's, so the way the book's divided is, is into kind of three parts that, you know, maybe you could talk about this, but, uh, you know, kind of trace your own experience, um, learning about algorithms in this group. Um, you know, the, the three categories or, or, or moments or points we could say are ground truthing, programming and formulating. Um, <clears throat> so, so why don't you talk a little bit about, um, about these three points and, their relationship in the process of making algorithms. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, again, when I entered the lab, uh, I was quickly, um, I could quickly see that one of the main uh, topics of discussion was specific databases that are called ground truth databases and which constitute basically the, the material uh, basis on which you can um, construct new uh, new algorithms and uh, so these databases they uh, gather uh, what is called input data for instance like um, like images with people in it for instance but also output targets which are um, well labels that are uh, um, inscribed on the images and so uh, if you put together input image and output targets you have like a, a problem defined According to the to the to, to a potential, I mean, according to um, to um, to a definition, so you have a, a problem that can be solved in a computational way, if you will. And so, uh, once you have a ground truth databases database that um, gathers input data and output target, then you can start to uh, design a new uh, computational model that we try to compute the input data in order to transform them into something close to the output target. And so it ground truth databases frame the whole um, practice of algorithmic design. And this is why I say that uh, we get the algorithms of our ground truth. It's because as a computer scientist, you, you, cannot, um, you cannot beat the ground truth, if you will. You can only try to approximate um, the ground truth, and you, you can only try to approximate the function that organize the um, that organizes the, the relationship between input data and output target. And so you have to um, assume that inside your database, there is a function that organizes uh, the relationship between input data and output targets. And you have to consider this function real. Um, and you have to consider that this function is organizing the whole world, actually, that is delineated by your database. And even though your database might be very uh, big actually it's still a small world because it's a database but you, this is the given if you will so i mean there's a couple just just to you know, interrupt you right i mean it's fascinating i think even just the name of, of kind of ground truth because for for a lot of different you know maybe say operations or tasks you know that one might encounter in the world it's hard to imagine a a particular set of those things being a static target i mean like and and you know what what do you think about this this set of assumptions i mean it, it it seems like a it seems like it's at the heart of heart of the practice in some sense i mean it's a big assumption to be making yeah it's a it's a very problematic term it's a vernacular term so i don't invent it it's a term that it used in the especially in applied field of computer science and especially in signal processing 
in other subfield of computer science, it is sometimes called benchmark datasets, um, but also a lot ground truth datasets, and it's a very problematic term, especially when it is considered as something uncountable. So you may uh, talk about um, not a ground truth, but about ground truth, and uh, so um, this is problematic because actually it's a ground truth database. So there are many of them. So it's not ground truth. So it's definitely not uncountable. It's definitely countable. But the term um, originated uh, in the in the field of cartography. And at first it was used to, uh, I mean, whenever you have some doubts uh, about um, kind of some location in a, in a, in a, in a map, you may um, uh, send someone or go yourself to that specific place and you may like um, take measures or um, take samples or whatever and then you come back to the laboratory and you will use these measures or these samples to adjust the, the, the map. And so ground truth uh, in that case, and it's important to, to specify, it's not what is out there, uh, I mean, but it's what you bring back actually, like the samples and the measure. And this is the ground truth. So it's already a kind of database when you think about it. Um, and so the, the, for, for some reasons that are very um, messy, actually the term happened to be used in, uh, in signal processing. And, um, and yeah, so, so it, it refers to, to, to databases, but sometimes uh, you, you try to, to, to speak quickly and we have to speak quickly because otherwise we, we don't speak. So instead of, of uh, talking about ground truth databases, we talk about the ground truth and there is the word truth, so maybe there is only one truth, actually. And so this is the given, so you may just use it as an uncountable um, term. And so in the end, with these small translations, you may end up thinking that, okay, it's not really problematic because it's the truth and it's the given. And this is something I try to, to, um, to critically discuss, at, at least in the, in the first part of the book. But I was quite happy to see that uh, even though uh, um, my um, formulation, I mean, we get the algorithms of a ground truth might be a little bit, um, might sound a little bit harsh. Actually, people did agree at the lab and say, okay, yes, it's true because um, you, you, can, you cannot do anything if you don't have any ground truth because you can, first you cannot design the model, but also you cannot evaluate it. And so if you can, if you cannot get like statistical results, I mean, statistical evaluation of the performances of your, of your model, you cannot, um, you cannot make it circulate in, in different, uh, like spheres, for instance, you cannot publish it because you cannot attest to its efficiency. And so, um, you, you cannot do that much with it if you, if you, if you don't evaluate it on, on the ground truth. And so uh, this is something uh, important to, to specify. And it, it's even more important now that we talk a lot, of, a lot about uh, machine learning. And in the book, I don't speak a lot about machine learning because at that time it wasn't the, 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 main, uh, the main thing. <clears throat> but uh, there is a whole um, like hype now around the self-supervised machine learning algorithms or like um, unsupervised machine learning algorithms that supposedly don't use labels, so don't use ground truth to... Uh, to design the, the learning function. But actually, if you look uh, very uh, closely, uh, they are still subordinated to ground truth simply because they need to be evaluated. And so if you don't evaluate your, your unsupervised or self-supervised model, you cannot, uh, you cannot make it circulate. So uh, you cannot make it exist. So still unsupervised learning algorithms are still supervised by, by, by ground truth. And hence the, the need to, to, to talk about these databases, I, I believe. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's a that's a very um, great way to sort of uh, counter someone's objection, possibly about um, unsupervised learning being uh, maybe a different type of thing. But but I agree with you. There's some sort of selection going on. There's some still sort of uh, some choosing of, of what that sample, what that collection looks like. Um, why don't we move on and talk a little bit about programming? I, I imagine it must have been interesting being an ethnographer learning to program uh, in, the, in, in, in a laboratory. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, I guess it's the, it's the biggest part of the book in terms of pages. I, I'm not sure because, I, I, by the way, I'm terrified by the idea of reading the book so I, because I'm, I'm very um, afraid of like uh, finding mistakes and so on. So I, I, I didn't do it. But uh, I think it's the biggest part of the book, if I remember well. And, um, <clears throat> but it was quite obvious in a sense because um, if you look at what is happening in a computer science laboratory, so you, you see people talking about databases and try to manage labels that they send to crowd workers and so on. So they do these kind of things, but they also spend a lot of time behind their monitors inscribing uh, symbols on a numbered list. So this is something that they spend a lot of time doing. So obviously, as an ethnographer, you need to, 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 to say something about it because it's a central part of the, of the activity. But, well, it's, uh, the, the, the tricky thing is that it's, it's, it was, at, at least to me, uh, difficult to consider directly this activity also because we, we I mean, I, tend to, to, I tended to be bound to a, to a conception of, uh, of computing as something, uh, something abstract. And, uh, and I tend, and we tend, I believe, to, to consider the, the, the results of programming situations, which are programs, uh, we tend to consider them as the ingredients of uh, programming situations, if you will. And it's a, it's a very um, weird and very bizarre reflex when you think about it, because it's a, it's a kind of tautology. You, you end up explaining computer programs by means of mental programs, but the notion of mental programs uh, derives itself from an abstract consideration of what a computer program is, and this is what I tried to, to explain in the in the third chapter. So it's an uh, so it's a it's a historical process that is extremely messy, but it's very contingent. And uh, so the, the condition of possibility to inquire really ethnographically into computer programming practices uh, is too detached from this uh, whole tradition. And um, so it, it, it wasn't uh, that, that uh, easy, at least for me. But also you need to, um, to, to set up a kind of um, protocol in order to be able to record what's going on, on on the screens of the people who are programming. And to do that, and it's not necessarily easy to, 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 to set this up because uh, programming situations may be quite demanding, actually, for, for the ones who, who are engaging them. And so it's not necessarily the moments where you want people, to, when we want someone to, to, to ask you questions about, about what's going on and you don't necessarily want the, your screen to be, to be recorded because you make a lot of mistakes and you spend your time making mistakes, actually. So it's not really um, an, easy, an easy process. So what I did is that I, I, I designed my own small project in, in image processing. And so I asked people to help me uh, whenever I was stuck in a, in a kind of programming operation. And it worked pretty well because um, the, the, this small project could be interesting for, for their own project inside the lab. And also it was not 
their project. So they agreed to to help me on this small computer computer programming task because it, they were not really engaged in them. So I could re video record all my monitors and also record the the, the audio and take note. Um, like uh, next to next to the people who uh, next to the to, to the person who was programming uh, in at my uh, at my uh, desk and so um, that way I could I tried actually to 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 describe very precise and this is why you need to be very precise in the in the ethnographic description because if you if you're not precise you, you lose the thread and then you don't understand what's going on and the, the issues at stake during these situations and uh, yeah so. I, I say a lot of things about computer programming practices. I'm still not sure how to link these things with uh, broader issues related to uh, algorithmic society, to, to say it quickly. So this is something I did not manage to do in the, in the book, at least. But, um, but I guess the, the, there might be, the, there might be um, things to, 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 to say uh, about this. But this part is really descriptive and try to answer the question, OK, what do people do when they uh, program? And again, um, they are, it's uh, the, the computer uh, programming situations. It's really, uh, for the case of the social study of computing, it's really um, the, the elephant in the room, in a sense, of the social study of computing, because a lot of interesting things have been written uh, about, uh, well, programmers' community and how they organize and what they do and very ethnographic work um, and very um, uh, i think beautiful work have been have been done on, on this topic but nothing almost nothing has been uh, written regarding the specific situations where these people uh, write symbols uh, on a numbered list which is when these people actually uh, do com uh, computer programming uh, activities and so I was surprised to see that, but um, but there may be reasons for that. Also, because as an ethnographer, you need to learn a little bit the computer programming languages, and to, to, you need to set up a whole um, like um, like experimental. Um, I mean, a whole setup in order to to, to get the, the 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 empirical materials. So it, it is not easy to do. But uh, yeah, so that was my. Uh, my take on, on on programming activities, which are central, of course, because whenever you, you do something, whenever you want to to make a computer do something very specific, you need to 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 program it. And uh, if, for instance, when you want, if you want to construct a new ground truth, you have to go through programming uh, sequences and programming episodes. So you, you don't have the choice actually. So you need to program if you want to uh, to design a new uh, algorithm. Yeah, that's I. I haven't thought about it um, before, but but I think you're absolutely right that um, there probably is some deeper connection between the exercise of, of of programming and and especially as you put it in terms of relation of um, the relationship between algorithms and how we might think about them in our our heads, the kind of co-production between um, what an what we think an algorithm is, and then how we then think about the things that we do uh, and kind of you know, arrive at some common horizon there. And I, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. There's probably some interesting thing to be said about, uh, about, about programming there. Why, why don't we move on to kind of the, the third um, touchstone in the book, uh, formulating? Yeah, sure. So, um, so yes, the, so ground truthing and programming activities, they were quite obvious actually when I was doing the, the inquiry in the lab. 
So um, again, people spend time designing new um, referential databases and they also spend time behind their monitors to, uh, to write symbols on, on numbered lists, which is they spend time programming. Uh, but they also did uh, many other things, of course. But one of these things was the um, kind of um, mobilization of uh, mathematical formula. And so they, they, discussed, they discussed about different formalization. And this also took them uh, took a significant part of their, of their working time. And so um, these and also these mathematical practices, they were not analog to uh, ground truthing practices and programming practices, even though they echoed each other. But they were not strictly the same because you, you, you go through different um, practices and you, you use different devices and you speak about different objects. But and so it was basically the question was, OK, how to speak about mathematics? And uh, but, but, the, but the problem from there was, uh, well, how to speak about mathematics in a down-to-earth manner? Because there are not many references, actually. Um, so uh, there are a few references in STS that were extremely useful uh, to me. I mean, there is the, the work of uh, Revin Nets. And uh, so he did an amazing um, work on, on Greek mathematicians. And uh, he showed basically how they were bound to diagrams and how the very notion of deduction and the rules of deduction actually is um, is, is the result of a very practical process. And um, and according to him, it derives from the work of the Greek mathematicians and the, the, their work on, 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 on diagrams. And then it was um, for, I mean, uh, yeah, then it was formula, uh, formalized by, uh, by Aristotle. And now we inherit from uh, the, the logical rules of deduction, but at, at, I mean, these rules have a history. And so this was amazing, amazingly helpful uh, to me and also the, the, the work of Donald McKenzie, for instance, on, on, on different kind of uh, ways to, uh, to, to prove a theorem. So th this was, uh, but again, th there are not that many references on, on that topic. But thanks to these references, basically, uh, I, I could kind of approach uh, the, the mathematic, mathematical practices I, I saw in the lab. And by doing so, I could uh, I understood once again the um, the centrality of ground truth databases actually, which are really used to 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 frame the mathematical formulations, in the sense that if you will the the the, the training sets, which are part of ground truth because a ground truth is divided into a training set and an evaluation set, and so the, the training set uh, often takes the, the 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 form of a big table for instance. And because of its envelope uh, as, a, as a table, if you would, as a, as a big table, so the, um, the, these training sets, they supposedly contain a, a function, as I said previously. So they supposedly contain a function which governs uh, the transformations of input data into output targets. And the way to approximate this function, which again, you must assume, you must assume that there is a function, the way to approximate this function is to uh, progressively transform these training sets into, into other things, for example, into a graph or into a succession of vectors and so on. And by virtue of these um, transformations, by virtue of these translations, if you will, which can be multiple, uh, and by virtue of that, uh, 
we sometimes manage to, I mean, computer scientists sometimes manage to enroll a certified mathematical statement, which is a statement that allows to, to make an operation. And so this is how mathematics are um, mobilized and enrolled in, the, in, in algorithmic design. Because computer scientists, they are not mathematicians. So mathematicians, they work on uh, mathematics and they uh, propose new theorems and they propose new formulas. And these um, statements, these certified statements can be mobilized and uh, enrolled, if you will, by a computer scientist uh, when they try to, to design a new uh, signal processing algorithm. And so this operation that you may, uh, that you may mobilize by means of different translation on the training set. And so this mathematical operation, it is here to uh, replace actually the labels drawn by the humans within the training set of the control. And so this function, and so it acts actually, it's an approximation of a, of a function because, um, so you, you, you approximate a function you consider real within the very small world of your, of your ground truth. And this is important to specify because uh, now with deep learning, sometimes people, um, I mean, mat mathematicians uh, sometimes say that it's not an approximation of function, but it's a function because there is no um, optimum, if you will. But actually, no, <laughs> it's important to say that, no, it's an approximation of a function. And so uh, this approximation, uh, it is um, it's, it, this approximation of a function is mobilized, is mobilized to, to, um, the, then to define what I call the scenario of a computer program. Because once you have defined um, a function approximation by means of a mathematical statement, you still, I mean, your function, your mathematical function won't make any computer do anything. So you need to translate it into, into, into a computer program. So you need to engage yourself in programming practices in order to make this function, um, well, in order to make it uh, able to, um, to, uh, to go through a, a computer. And so for, for, the, for the case of, um, so programming activities, uh, again, I mean, they entail uh, different things. And I also try to describe in the book what, what uh, programming activities uh, entail. And this is why at the end of the book, I insist a little, I mean, I insist a lot actually uh, on the fact that the, the three activities that I describe, uh, ground truthing, uh, programming, and formulating, uh, these activities, uh, they are uh, intertwined and they echo each other. Great. So uh, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about with you, um, and, and as I kind of think about this book and, and try, to, try to imagine, you know, I mean, in the background, I should be maybe more explicit about it. There's kind of a huge debate, I think, going on, or not even a debate, a mobilization of scholars thinking about uh, algorithms in society, thinking about the ways in which, um, like, how do we conceptualize kind of the rapid overtaking of a lot of daily activities that are become mediated through technology? And so, uh, you know, of course, a book like this, I, I think, should we should try to think about it in the same ways that we might think about some of the lab studies and how they've been kind of thought about in terms of science policy, thought about um, in terms of like sociology of science. And, you know, my, my kind of deep, deeper question for you is, you know, how are you thinking about the differences of the computer science lab and the science lab? Because I think that there, there's something different, at least materially, but 
is there something different too in in the types of things that they're constructing, the types of things that they're they're working with, or even thinking about? And and I'm and I'm curious to know your kind of you know closing thoughts on on how we think about the differences. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a great question, I guess. Um, so maybe um, well, lab studies. I think they are more discussed than than run um, within STS, but also. Uh, in anthropology in general. And one reason, I, I guess, it's also because, as I said, it takes a lot of time. So in the actual, uh, in the current um, academic regime, if you will, it's very difficult to, to, to spend time doing uh, very long inquiries. And so the, the, the genre of um, lab study maybe has suffered from, uh, from that. But also, I believe, I mean, now if you go to a, to, to um, I, I don't know, to a lab of biology or physics or whatever, it won't be that much different from what you may see in a computer science laboratory because now it's, it's, mainly, it's mainly mediated through our computers. So you will see computers, basically, and you will see, um, and you will see people who uh, program uh, things. And so you, you will see basically the same things, I believe, uh, as in computer science laboratories, but for different um, for different prospect, if you will, uh, if you go to a, a, bio, a, a laboratory of biology, uh, what people will do, with it, it, they won't create, they won't design new algorithms there. What they will do is that they will try to to um, to publish um, certified statements about well some kind of biological processes. So they won't do the same um, things as computer scientists in a signal processing laboratory, but still they will go through many um, computing devices. And so is it very different from computer science laboratories? I'm not sure. I think it, you, as an ethnographer, you will have to, um, to use a bunch of uh, tools that may be close to the ones I, I had to use for, for this specific inquiry. But it's true that um, at least I was um, uh, I had the feeling to be um, to be quite um, not alone in the inquiry, but uh, to be in a kind of uncharted territory because the, the 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 theoretical and methodological tools in order to inquire into what's going on inside computer inside computers was not that developed um, while I was doing the the book, and so the hope I mean this is a, a big hope, but my hope was also to to try to propose a bunch of theoretical notions and of methodological approaches to, to try to launch more inquiries into uh, computer science laboratories, but also computer-mediated um, science laboratories. Because now you, you use computers in, everywhere, and if you go to a, to a laboratory of uh, like um, physics, you will find people programming uh, very complex programs, so they will do uh, computer-related stuff. So. So yeah, this is the this is the big hope, but it's really a big hope. I'm not sure I managed to, to to do that in the book. Yeah, I th I think that's a very interesting conclusion, and I think you know your 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 computer scientists have somehow, or maybe not computer scientists, but at least computers and computing has somehow enrolled even science labs. You know, they sort of mastered, you know, they'll, they've mastered sort of science's uh, ability to pull things in through them, but but now in a sense, computers have too, and and so it's interesting, I think, so certainly to kind of go back and reflect on the laboratory as, you know, 
is there some sort of kind of ground truthing and formulating happening there that maybe um, that maybe now is cropping up in a new way uh, that that wasn't looked at before? Um, it's so true what, that, for what, instance, oh, sorry, please. No, no go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you think about biology, for instance, uh, if Bruno Latour and Steve Wolger had done the inquiry now, they would have um, also encountered computational biologists. And uh, computational biologists, what they do, they all, well, among other things, they uh, design new algorithms in order to um, detect uh, new molecules, for instance. So they would have... Um, met um, computer scientists, actually, and they would have talked about them. But uh, how can you do that? Well, it, it's difficult because you have to, to, to go inside what's going on in a computer and you have to record screens. So you need a, a new um, methodological apparatus and also a new theory, I believe, because you need to detach from this notion of uh, computing as something abstract and so on. So, uh, yeah, so that was just a precision regarding the the scientific laboratories nowadays. Excellent. Um, so I guess uh, as we have, are approaching our, our time, um, you know, what what are you uh, working on now? Where, where do you see some of this future work um, going? Yeah, so, I mean, what I really want to do is to launch, if you will, um, a new uh, kind of ethnographic expedition but this time related more to uh, what's going on around uh, machine learning and this kind of um, new uh, new wave of um, applied computer science. Because in the book, it was, it was a little bit before what was happening, I mean, what happened with the machine learning. So I really want to, to, to do that, but it, it's difficult because you need to raise funding. It's really like an expedition you need to set up. Um, but right now, I, I work for, 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 um, for a great project that is around the, the development of personalized medicine in, in Switzerland. And, and funnily enough, and interestingly enough, I, um, I follow a um, computational biologist, actually, who, um, whose, main problems, well, whose main problem is to, um, is to define a new ground truth in order to to um, to uh, detect uh, um, a, a new kind of molecules that it related to uh, to cancer immunotherapy. So it, it's funny because uh, I, I I can a little bit um, like um, put my proposition to to the test with this new um, field site, and it's quite interesting. So um, so yeah, I mean for now the the, the ground truthing part of the of the book still hold, if you will. So. Um, I, I, I can find ground truthing aspect also in computational biology because it's, it's also a, a very big um, and a very big, a very big issue for 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 computer scientists who work in in, um, in biological uh, laboratory. So this is what I'm doing now. But I really try to launch a new expedition. But as I say, it, it's not easy because yeah, you need to raise funding and it will take a, a couple of years. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for your for your time today. Uh, um, you know, we've been talking with Florian Gentone, author of uh, The Constitution of Algorithms, Ground Truthing, Programming, Formulating from MIT Press 2021. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much.